You're listening to Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Welcome back to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn, the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing, and I'm joined my, by my guest host, Annie Wilson, who's a professor of marketing at the Wharton School. She's taking America's Reads place today because America's is out celebrating post-4th, July 4th activity. I don't know what he's doing, but he's not here. And we're really happy that Annie is here. Annie um, came to Wharton a year ago or two years ago. She got her PhD at Harvard, which we don't like to really mention, although I seem to mention it all the time. And then she went into industry for a while to be a behavioral um, researcher, a behavioral scientist, and finally decided to come back and help teach courses here at Wharton. And she's been a home run teacher, so we're really excited to have her. So thank you, Annie, for being on the show again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And we're very happy to welcome our next guest, um, Lauren Scrimo, who's the head of brand marketing for Favor. And part of the reason we brought her on is because she has a very interesting role, very interesting business, and she's going to talk to you about it. Um, you might have known this uh, company by another name. It recently went through a, a rebranding, so she'll talk about that also. And then we're going to talk about how her company is really addressing some of the very trying political issues of the day. And, and as we were saying in the break, she's not running away from them. She's facing these issues full on. So it's really interesting to have Lauren here. Thank you, Lauren, for joining us. Thank you. Excited to be here. So let's see, just a little background, whether we should talk about your company or you first. Let's first talk about you. What's your background and how did you get to be sitting here on the show? Sure, sure. So my background is in more traditional CPG marketing. So I spent about 10 years in the beverage industry, first at Dr. Pepper and then at Anheuser-Busch. So very different industries. Um, and then, you know, to be honest, I think I'm one of those people that is probably now a statistic during the pandemic, just really had a moment of self-reflection and wanted to do something that was much more meaningful to me. And so landed on this opportunity to join Favor and have just been absolutely thrilled to be a part of this team and, and able to contribute in this moment. So I've been at this company for about a year. Oh, that's actually a very interesting background in the sense that you, if from those companies, you have some real traditional marketing background. You know how to build a brand, you know marketing, traditional stuff. So was it hard to move from that kind of traditional background to a new company like this? Or was it easy to take those old concepts and apply them in these new ways? You know, it... it it hasn't been without its challenges, but it's been easier than I expected, for sure. I think, you know, I, I had sort of done a range of different brand marketing tactics and worn lots of hats and, you know, operated on lean teams and large teams, so I felt pretty prepared for it. Um, and it's it's just been a really great experience. It's, it's a wonderful company and just a, an awesome group of people. Well, I'm thinking a lot of people haven't heard of Favor, partly because it's a new brand name. So let before we leave them in the dark and show you why it's difficult to talk about Anheuser-Busch and Favor in the same breath, I mean, I kind of have a little, that's a little bit of dissonance in my head. Why don't you tell us what Favor is? Let's talk about the company, its mission, the rebranding, and then we'll talk about the issues. For sure. So Favor is a, uh, a digital health company for women and people who menstruate. We started back in 2016 and we started with contraception, birth control. And the goal at the time was all about making it more affordable and accessible because honestly, somebody had to do that. 
Um, so today we are the nation's leading integrated healthcare platform. We, and that includes telemedicine services as well as a direct-to-consumer pharmacy. And we have the broadest insurance coverage in the space. Uh, Med Medicaid is included in that as well. Um, and I mentioned it before, but from 2016 to about, about March of this year, we were called the Pill Club. And I was part of the effort to rebrand to Favor. And really the goal of that was to open ourselves up to be able to do more than just birth control in the future. And so that's been a really uh, thrilling experience and really has set us up for this moment that I know we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah, um, it, you know, it's a big elephant in the room. Obviously, we're going to get there. So that's where we're going. But you brought up a lot of things. You know, I, I mentioned going from CPG to this. But, like, when you go into pills and pharmacy and stuff, there's regulations. It's a whole different business. you got liability. You've got, I mean— how did you did you how did you get up to speed on all that? Are, am I right? Is that all? Are those all issues with birth control? Um, beside the political yeah, ones, there's health issues, there's regulation issues in general, right? Absolutely. Though I will say the beer industry is also highly oh, regulated. Right. Yeah, I, I was accustomed to the idea of regulation and working very closely with our legal department, and that has now continued, obviously for a different set of issues. But yes, definitely used to operating in that that type of environment. Okay, so the Pill Club, you moved to favor because you want to broaden it, but how'd you get on the word favor? Like, that's an interesting choice. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it comes down to our mission, which is all about, you know, empowering women and people who menstruate to live their healthiest lives. And what we do that's a little bit different than our set of competitors is really inject this kind of human element in our approach. So one of the things that our consumers really know us for is when you receive a package from Favor with your birth control prescription, it comes with free extras. So candy and oh. uh, skincare items. And so that's something that we try to do to make healthcare a little bit more enjoyable because typically it's not. And so the idea of favor was to allude to some of this brand promise. And so you could think about it in the sense of, you know, do yourself a favor and take control of your health. There's also this notion of doing someone else a favor. And so we really wanted to create this sense of going above and beyond with that word. And I noticed you said people who menstruate, which I'm sure was not an accident because um, I saw like people who get pregnant. Like, so you're embracing some of those issues, right? Absolutely, yes. Inclusivity is incredibly important to us. And we want to acknowledge that, you know, many different types of customers come to us. And so using the word women alone can be very alienating for uh, certain groups. And so that's why we've broadened it to speak about women and people who menstruate. It took me a little while to understand. Not in your case, it was people who got pregnant. I was thinking, what do you mean by that? But now I do understand why that's more of an inclusive term. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, Annie, you said you had heard of this company before. Did you have any, like, what were your reactions about the company or what did you know about it before? You know, you knew it as the pill company or the pill club before it was fa favors easier to remember for sure. I knew it sort of passively of, of people who had, had used them before. Um, I guess I also, and I, and I don't know if we want to talk about this now or skip to it in, in a bit, but I was really interested in your TikTok campaigns and the use of um, influencers to disseminate information, which I know you've done a lot more of um, more recently too. Um, but I was kind of, and, and you talked about um, people who can get pregnant and people who menstruate, but I think what 
struck me too was in some of those campaigns, there was a lot more attention given to this is really a societal problem. This is not an issue that affects just this one group of, of people, it affects everyone. Um, and I guess I'm, I'm sort of curious generally about the role of influencers, how you think about integrating them from an advocacy versus a brand image or awareness perspective. Um, it just seems like a very interesting space to use influencers. Absolutely. So we touched on this a little bit uh, on the break, but our, our primary consumer target is Gen Z. Um, and for them, you know, TikTok is really where they're spending all of their time. And in addition to that, they tend to trust word of mouth recommendations more so than a brand, you know, telling them what to buy. Um, I think that's probably the case for everyone to a degree, but even more so for Gen Z. So because of those reasons, that is why we landed on influencers as one of our primary marketing channels. Regardless of whether we're talking about an advocacy initiative or just sort of general evergreen communications. And what we did during this period, I know we'll get a little bit more um, into the Dobbs versus Jackson ruling, but for advocacy specifically, from about mid-May, and we'll run this all the way through the end of July, we decided to dedicate 100% of that influencer channel to educating people about what's happening in the wake of uh, Roe versus Wade being overturned and what the ripple effect will be and how you can stay prepared. Um, it was a bit of a, a different move. I think you know most people would probably want to prioritize sales over education, but you know for us, it, it made sense to really just show up for our customers in that moment and provide them with clarity in in a time that was, you know, still is uh, very scary. So well, like I was reading about reactions to the TikTok campaign also and, and a number of users who um, were their eyes were opened as a result of these influencers because like you're saying, like we're more receptive to listening someone to someone you always go to as a trusted source of information or influence rather than hearing from a brand or maybe a governmental entity um, of being becoming more aware of, and I think these are, are your words, or at least some of your influencers have used it as, um, it's not political, it's, it's healthcare. Um, so I guess, um, unless Barbara wants to pivot to a different question, yeah. I'm curious if you can help listeners understand uh, really what's happening then. So in the spirit of what are these influencers educating people on, uh, you know, what's happened with the, the Dobbs decision? How does that influence favor? Um, kind of a little bit of the timeline there. Sure, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think it's it's been probably uh, pretty widely publicized, but but for us, you know, this, this really puts a lot of things at risk. So we know that with Roe versus Wade being overturned, about 33 million or so women and people who menstruate have lost uh, access to abortion in their state. And so that's, that's a massive impact on, you know, folks being able to control the decisions for their own bodies. Um, this is not official yet. However, you know, we can sort of see based on the ruling that other things might come under question, um, things like emergency contraception and birth control. And so that's why for us being a birth control company at heart, um, we also offer emergency contraception as well. Uh, this was something that we wanted to make sure to arm our patients uh, with information about. And so to your question about what the influencers were talking about, they were providing these exact facts to their followers to make sure people understood this is a case that you really need to pay attention to in the weeks leading up to that decision. This is why it's going to have a massive impact. And this is actually not the end of the story. It's going to continue. This is really just the beginning. And so our message to them, and we can talk about this in a moment, but was to go to a resource hub that we created at Favor 
that offered information and facts about the issue, uh, offered ways for people to stay prepared. So making sure that they had a birth control prescription, had stocked up on emergency contraception if they were pregnant and were looking for help, where they could go to get help. And then even if folks wanted to get more involved, we offered six different partners that they could uh, donate to, to provide uh, resources to women who were seeking abortion and, and having difficulty doing so. Um, and so that was really the message that our influencers were giving was to direct people to this resource-filled place uh, where they could stay equipped with, with knowledge um, to really make the best decision for themselves. So let me just throw in a marketing question here, given this is Marketing Matters. Um, so uh, it reminds me of like the Nike decision, you know, to support Kaepernick or something like that. And what I mean by that is this is a polarizing issue. Um, and so there's some people who definitely agree with this, some people who don't. Now, in Nike's case, it was definitely polarizing. There were people who owned Nike that when they supported Kaepernick, burnt their Nikes and Trump, you know, famously was outspoken against Nike. I'm guessing in your case, it is for the customers you go after, it might not be that polarizing. But I'm wondering if you considered like having a more balanced approach or something like that to not polarize? Or did you decide, you know, from a branding point of view, if we're known to have this political point of view, we're going to just live with that? You know, I was just kind of curious how you thought about that. For sure. So a lot of this initiative was driven by research. And so we've been planning this since January. So it's been about a six month process to get us to where we are today. And one of the first things we did was to survey existing as well as potential customers and to ask them how they felt about these issues. In that research, actually, that was how we uncovered that 93% of Gen Z women and people who menstruate did not have any understanding of how Dobbs was going to impact their lives. And we just said, oh my God, that's, that's massive and we have to do something about this. In that same research, we also came to understand that this was a very important issue for the majority of our customers and for potential customers as well. So you're absolutely right. This is something that aligns very well with our consumer target. That being said, you know, we, it's, it's, you can never do things that please everyone. Um, and so we did have uh, some negative feedback, but it was definitely the minority of, of what we heard. And and you just decided to go with what you were going to do anyway. And if the poll, you know, the people who didn't like it, they're just not going to like it. I mean, that's similar to what we're hearing a lot of brands saying about purpose. The other thing, just from a marketing point of view, then we'll go back to like the specific campaigns and how you decide. So one of it was education, which is Andy was talking about. But then I know you've done some other campaigns more recently. But before we get to that, the other thing I've been reading about this when you're talking about Plan B or emergency contraception, you know, birth control and that kind of stuff is that supply chain issues. Um, so like, you know, there's a run on this stuff. And uh, how have you been handling all of that? I mean, is that an issue? Can people get it? Or how are we going to plan for that? I mean, you're telling people yeah. to stockpile. That might not be such a great idea, you know, because then people who need it may not be able to get it when they want it. I, I don't know how all that works, but I imagine there's something there. Sure. So, so we have seen that drugstores have been limiting purchase and limiting their supply. That is not something that we are doing at favor. And so, you know, we, we have really tried to advertise that folks can add up to 10 uh, packages of EC at a time um, in their orders. And so that's something that we're here to try to solve. Um, but as we were looking at 
the role of emergency contraception. You know, previously, as, as part of FAVOR, you had to already be a FAVOR member with a birth control prescription in order to buy emergency contraception. In anticipation of this surge in demand, we, we changed that. And so as of now, you can go onto the FAVOR website, you can order emergency contraception, whether you are a member or not. So it's really been our goal to make it much more accessible and easy. So in addition to sort of um, availability of the product, we also really looked at the price. Um, average price at a drugstore can be around $45, and we're offering it for $14.95. So that's something that's, yes, big savings. So yeah. that's something that is so core to our mission when it comes to our company in general is really because of our target. You know, they're young. A lot of them are in school or fresh out of school. We really want to make sure to offer people accessible and affordable care because oftentimes, you know, budgets can be very constrained. So this is this is no exception. How can you possibly do that? That's like way too big a cut to make sense to me. How do you well, have to tell me that there's a big upcharge oh, drug? No drugs. kidding. <laughs> I mean, are you nonprofit? Are you um are, No, it's it's still profitable. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is a statement about other people, isn't it? Um, whoa. So, okay, so what Annie, what you were talking about, I think, there's a couple issues you brought up, and you can expand on some. Some of this was the educational, which is what Lauren was talking about, and the other um, was this notion of influencer and TikTok and TikTok campaigns and what you can do within the world of TikTok versus, you know, more traditional kinds of stuff, you know. So, like, there's all that piece. But then I know some of your newer campaigns seem to me more like ad advocacy than education. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm making that distinction or if you agree with it. So there's a bunch of different issues there. And it's you can talk about some of your most recent campaigns, but they seem more like advocacy, like you're kind of pushing. Um, it's not just about education. You're kind of, you know, kind of taking a stand. Yeah, I, and I think what you're referring to is, so we we partnered with three well-known influencers, Liz Plank, Alicia Luncheon, and Sophia Ongoli, um, who executed stunts that were, you're right, much more advocacy-focused versus education-focused in their respective cities, so in New York, Atlanta, and D.C. And the premise behind these stunts was to really try to get a moment of virality by calling attention to the absurdity of a stranger making a decision on behalf of our bodies. And so the sort of starting point for these stunts was, what if we booked vasectomy appointments for the politicians who are behind this legislation and made it mandatory? Because that's sort of what it feels like to be on the other side of it. And so we partnered with those three influencers and they brought this idea to life in, um, in ways that were sort of uh, organic for them to do and, and posted it on TikTok. I think my favorite was probably Alicia. We, uh, we built this truck, a giant truck with a billboard that said, Governor Kemp, the governor of Georgia, it's time to get your vasectomy oh, and then drove it up to the state capitol building and sort of, you know, waved <laughs> uh, through the window. So really fun stuff, but you're right. I think it's definitely, the idea was to try to get some virality from doing that. But the end goal in all of those pieces of content was to drive back to that microsite that I mentioned and ultimately continue to educate people on the facts, how they can get involved, et cetera. So it was really a a method to capture attention, but then ultimately educate. Yeah, I think that that those guerrilla marketing campaigns reminded me a lot of kind of the truth campaigns and sort of standing up to big tobacco, too. And it, it felt like this blend of advocacy and education of like, look, everybody, this is what you're standing to lose. You also have your campaign of they're coming for your 
your your abortion, your birth control is next. Um, and you know, this is analogous to booking vasectomy appointments for um, senators or government officials or whoever it is. But then there also is this um, empowerment perspective of it as well in terms of, you know, people need to realize that they, they should be doing something to, uh, if they believe um, in doing so, to stand up against these big entities taking control over um, health implications. Absolutely. And, and one thing I'll add to that is, um, you know, it's, it, it can be daunting, I think, in these moments to think that you as a single person can make a difference. You know, we, we see that dynamic with voting all the time. And so what we wanted to do and what was sort of woven throughout all of these tactics was this notion of creating a community and sort of making people feel like they're part of something bigger, which, which is absolutely true. And we labeled it, we called it hashtag we are Jane. And Jane was inspired by the Jane Collective, uh, which was formed back in the 60s and 70s, in, leading up to when Roe versus Wade uh, was first passed. Um, but it was this group of women who were super outspoken and were really looking to make change. And so We Are Jane was a way to kind of resurrect that momentum and, and bring it up to the modern day. And so that's kind of a creative wrapper that we've used throughout all of these tactics. I'm Barbara Kahn, along with my guest co-host, Annie Wilson. This is Marketing Matters. We're joined by Lauren Scrimmo, who's the head of brand marketing for Favor. And she's talking about some of the guerrilla marketing kind of approaches that you've done to try to call attention to responses to the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, and I was curious, like you were mentioning, you know, the, there's part of what you're trying to do is create community as well as to get response and to drive people to the microsite, et cetera. So, you know, just in, again, bringing back the marketing piece of it a little, what are the, are you measuring things? Are, are there metrics that you're doing? What are the kinds of metrics that you take in order to know whether this stuff's successful or you're just like screaming at the wind? No, absolutely. I'm a very, very data-driven uh, marketer. So two, two big buckets for us. The first was awareness, um, and that's, that sort of falls into two subcategories, I guess I would say. Awareness of favor. So as we mentioned at the top, you know, I think a lot of folks had not heard of favor because we just launched back in March. So this was definitely a way to get the brand name out there, but also awareness of, of what we do and the resources that we can provide um, related to reproductive rights. So awareness for sure, and then brand consideration is another one. So that's something that we measure through survey data. Um, but as much as we can, we want to uh, use this as a way to make people consider uh, purchasing from us even more than they would have previously. And so I think that's a helpful outcome from all of this. Um, so those are both kind of brand metrics. And then I think, you know, there's, there's a, a larger metric of making sure that we get People, the information that they need. So we're tracking things like number of website visits, um, how, how much EC are we selling now versus previously, uh, and making sure that from a resource standpoint, we're seeing the traffic uh, that we want to see in those areas. Annie, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? Yeah, for, I'm curious from a marketing perspective, um, and you've obviously we've discussed, you've worked at other big brands before. Um, do you have advice uh, or thoughts about how other brands should address this issue or could address this issue considering it's controversial? It might not align with their subject matter expertise or their brand mission or whatever it is. Um, but maybe question. they want to do something. They want to say something. Yeah, I mean, just give a that? little background on that because we did also, in addition to Lauren, who we knew this mission aligned very closely with her brand, we were looking for some mainstream brands to see if they were willing to make a stand. And... Annie was the one who did the research on it, but it, it 
was hard to find a brand ready to make a stand. So, Lauren, what is that's a great question. Eh? Thanks for asking that. Absolutely. I mean, I think I think for me, it was it was such a no brainer because, as we mentioned before, this is an issue that is top of mind for our consumer. So it was very consumer driven. And then it's, it also made business sense. So because we are at our core, a birth control company, um, speaking loudly and boldly on this issue makes tons of sense for, for our business and for our revenue stream. And so I think when there are issues that are able to uh, sort of satisfy both of those boxes of consumer plus business sense, then there's really no question in my mind that it's, it's a good fit. Now, I think there are probably lots of other companies where that, that wasn't the case, and maybe that's why they were <laughs> less, less willing yeah. to, to do it. Um, but I've, I've been on the other end of things, too, where we're you know, considering if we jump into an issue like a couple summers ago, Black Lives Matter was sort of the thing that everyone was talking about. And I don't think it made sense for every brand to really jump in on that because it doesn't always satisfy those two boxes. Oh, so I think we got to stop. Show's ending. But, you know, this is a really important point. We're going to have to have you back. What can brands do to really lean into this and still not jeopardize their brand? But we want to thank you, Lauren, very much for joining us today. And where can our listeners go to find you? Favor.com. Favor.com. I want to thank our producers, Dion Simpkins and Dana Cash. I want to thank Annie Wilson for joining us as co-host. We're here every Wednesday from six to 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. We replay our show several times throughout the week. And you can follow us on SXM Marketing, and you can follow Business Radio at SXM Business for any information about our show. Thank you for listening to today. We'll be back next week. <laughs>